But we're in a series called Relationships That Matter. And we've tackled a number of these relationships. We think of parents and children, marriage. Last week was Jonathan and David. And looking at the idea of actually having close friends in our lives. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the uh, a relationship with this book, the Bible, and how it can impact our lives uh, to have a proper relationship with it. We, we challenged you to read through the New Testament in a, over about a two-month period. If you want to jump in, we have kind of a guide that you can use and do that as well. Love to have you do that uh, also. But today, notice the title of today's outline on the, from your sermon there, or the sermon outline. Our uncomfortable relationship with authority. Authority. It's a sensitive issue in our culture. And and I think one that people don't want to discuss, and it's viewed with, I think, suspicion and disregard. It's easy to disregard the issue. But despite those attitudes, recognize authority is an important foundation of who God is. And I would say it this way, God cares how we relate to authority. Now, as I dug into this topic, like all the other topics, I realized I'm just kind of scratching the surface and we could spend a couple weeks on this one. But let me just begin and jump in this way with that first point, if you're following along in the outline. I said it this way, number one, authority is the freedom to decide or the right to act without hindrance. Now that's a a technical definition of authority. One has the right, the ability, and the authorization to decide a kind of a final say without control of somebody else. But here's where I want to begin to connect this to the scriptures. And here's a key passage from Romans chapter 13 to begin with. Look at verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Fairly pointed text. Now, if you go farther in that passage, for the sake of time, I left it out. If you go down about four or five verses, it actually is talking about paying taxes to authorities. I hate paying taxes. But let me give you a key out of that text. Point two. Our authority, all authority, begins with God. Now, I want to push it farther because understand this. Our entire universe is under the authority of God. And to connect it with people, let me put up a statement on the screen and and to recognize the degree that is connected to us. The eternal destiny of our soul is determined by how we relate to the authority of God. This is not a casual issue. And we live in a culture where it realized people mock God's authority. Matter of fact, this last week, I saw it on a news feed and I tracked it down on the TV show, The View, was mocking um, Vice President's relationship with Christ. 
And I think there's a, we have a vice president that realizes this, that he comes under the authority of Jesus. But in that, realize one day, we will find ourselves bumping up and being confronted with the authority of God in an eternal sense. Well, let me keep going here. Look at Acts 1-7. Just to get the breath of his authority, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. God has authority over every aspect of this world, including time. And you go, wow, the breath of that. The breath of that. But let me give you another one. Number three. Every earthly authority that exists is delegated from God. See, Romans 13 says all the, it, it comes from God, the authorities and even the governments. Now, let me put you on a screen another example here. And that just in terms of how authority is delegated in multiple ways. From 1 Corinthians 9, God gave Paul the right or the authority to actually preach the gospel. Jesus was given the authority to forgive sins and to drive out evil spirits, Mark 9. Matter of fact, if you're in the reading, if you're following along, and if you're up to kind of the speed in the passage in Luke here for today's reading, a woman came and poured uh, perfume on the feet of Jesus, and at the end of that chapter, it talks that where Jesus says, I forgive your sins. And the leaders of that day goes, what authority do you have that you can actually forgive somebody's sin, their sins? They were questioning the authority of Jesus. But let me give you some more examples. Jesus gave 72 disciples the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. It's an interesting one. But even one when it comes to Satan, look at this one. Satan has been given authority to function within the limits established by God from Acts 26. Are you catching the breath of the authority of God? And he can choose to delegate it authority as he sees fit. But let me give you another aspect of this authority piece. Number four, God has established four domains of authority in this world. Civil governments, the family, the church, and the scriptures. So look at, let me look at the civil government first. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it has to be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We are called to come under the civil authorities that God has instituted. We're called to give them respect. Now, we've got to catch this. Peter here, as he's writing this, the authority, ultimate authority over him was a man by the name of Nero. And if you know history at all, he was a terrible man. Now, he was relatively neutral for the church for, for a little while, but eventually he became the church's worst enemy at that time. He tried to wipe the church out. And they were used, the church was used as a scapegoat. And Peter still writes the call to respect authority. 
By the way, the church still grew even in that environment. But we're called to give respect even to those governments that aren't so good. Aren't, they're not nice at all. But a second domain, that issue of the family. Look at Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. There's an authority structure within the family. Now, any of you currently or maybe you grew up, did you run your families like a democracy? One vote for every kid. Don't have more than two kids. You're in trouble. See, authority structures even in the context of the family. Let me put another verse on where if you're not a follower of Christ, the world doesn't really understand this verse. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives are called to submit, but realize, if we were to look farther, you'd realize husbands, we are called to submit to Christ as well. And actually, in marriage as well, there's actual together, being together, there is a mutual submission to be had as well. But then we come to the third domain, the church. Jesus said, I am going to build my church. And it included the, uh, the authority structures that needed to make it work well. Uh, let me put up a verse. Hebrews chapter 13. Very pointed, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, the authority of the church starts moving into the spiritual realm. And that authority intersects with Christ, even as the church comes under the authority of Christ himself. One day, as we are being his bride, he's our groom, and we come under his authority. We submit to him. Now, I've got to say one thing when it comes to the spiritual realm. The Old Testament was a little bit different, and there was a transition that took place as Jesus came and fulfilled the mission of what, where he was at. In the Old Testament, when you think of the authority in the Old Testament, it was prophets, priests, kings who, who had authority. At the time of Christ, the shift began to take place. Those disciples all of a sudden didn't answer to the priests anymore. They came under the umbrella of Christ. And then as Christ left, as Jesus left, understand what he did. He delegated authority to the apostles who went out and established by authority churches. And even there, he set up systems, structures, authority structures, for example, of elders, a plurality of elders. Why? To make the church work. Things don't work without an authority, uh, without structures. It was to build up the bride, to reveal the son and, and to the world. The elders were responsible for that. But then we come to this fourth domain, the scriptures. The words in this book are authoritative words that we are called to come under. Now, the distinctive evangelical theology, one of the points there when we say evangelical theology is that we believe that these are the authoritative words that God inspired writers to write. So it is God's word. It offers 
authoritative doctrines that shape our lives, to shape how, how a church actually functions. But there's a critical issue with this. If a person ultimately rejects this book, all authority structures go out the window. The authority of the parent. Why? Civil governments. Why? Who says there should be authority? See, this implies that there is a transcendent truth, a transcendent authority who is God himself. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because there's a question that comes up when you talk about authority. And when you look at, for example, how about those bad governments? I mean, really bad. Or, or what about a church that doesn't line up with this book? Are you called to submit at that point? Or what about marriages where a spouse is ungodly and, and there are no structures, it's chaos in a marriage or even in a home where children, where the parents aren't nurturing them, it's going actually the opposite direction. Do the kids have to stay under the authority of mom and dad? See that question, do we have to submit to authority when it's ungodly? You know, I could probably spend a week on it, I realize that, but just a couple quick statements there. There is a line, we recognize, that one does not have to stay under the authority, that one comes out, but it's when those authority structures are beginning to do opposite of what God intends in some form. Now, now the, let me just show you a verse, actually, that even speaks to this. For example, Acts 5.28 we strictly charged you, um, Luke is writing here, not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. What did Peter do and the apostles do here? That religious leaders in Jerusalem were telling Peter, you cannot talk about Jesus. You cannot talk about a risen Savior. you got to stay away. And obviously Peter goes, no. We answer to God. So the gospel is one area where you go, no, I'm not going to submit to your authority. But here's the tension on this issue. Is that it's easy to pick verses like this. And examples like this, where we create a spiritual trump card to use as coming out under authority. Dad, you're abusing me by taking away my cell phone. I'm going to obey God rather than you. Sound good, parents? I have actually seen people and know people where they look at the government as it's functioning and say this, they can't make me pay, ta pay taxes. It's wrong. And I'll go, you better read Romans chapter 13 again. And he realized there's no biblical leg to stand on in the issue of taxes. See, there are many issues that we encompass every day, that have nothing to do with obeying God versus man. See, if someone sins against someone, 
It, it, we don't just justify saying, I, I can come out from under authority and therefore I don't have to and fill in the blank. You know, if I sin against my wife and, and, and she comes and says, Ken, you've done this to me, I'm going to please God rather than man. And you go, no. Why? Because under God's authority, it includes forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation. It includes being respectful to politicians and leaders that might even be, in our eyes, despicable. That's the call on our lives. But let me even dig a little bit deeper here. Look at Daniel chapter 4. Really a pretty heavy verse. Look at how it reads. People on the earth are not really important. God does what he wants with the powers of the heaven and the people on the earth. No one can stop his powerful hand or question what he does. And you go, whew, pretty dogmatic, isn't it? Look at Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He can start when he wants, and he can stop when he wants. He can choose to intervene when he wants, and he can choose not to intervene if he wants. And the question, are we comfortable with having a God with that kind of authority? Are we comfortable? See, we know that God is a loving God, and we preach on that, we talk about it all the time, but can we take authority and put it into that same box in terms of a loving God? We're uncomfortable. And you go, why? Why? Let me give you a put up a statement on the screen. Something we need to understand. As we come out of the womb, there is something already within us that wants to delete, hit that delete button on the authority of God. Folks, we have the flesh that's still sitting there that's saying, I don't like God's authority to him to have that much. And even as we come to Christ, I think we can still wrestle with his authority. We look at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, we love that verse. And then we start looking at God's rights and authority, and we're not so happy. But here's the deal. I don't think we understand how we have been infused about this whole issue of authority and rights. I was a history major in college. And one of the time periods that we had to study was a period called the Great Enlightenment. And I want to show you the definition of that. And you understand the breadth of this would be determined, your studying of it would, you have a liberal history teacher and a conservative one. Almost all of them that I had were liberal history teachers. But this is the Enlightenment. It included a range of ideas centered on reason as the primary source of authority and legitimacy, and it came to advance ideals, look at this, like liberty, progress, tolerance, fraternity, constitutional government, and a separation of church and state. 
In France, the central doctrines of the Enlightenment philosophers were individual liberty and religious tolerance in opposition to an absolute monarchy and the fixed dogmas of the Roman Catholic Church. The Enlightenment was marked by an emphasis on scientific method, reductionism, along with an increased questioning of religious orthodoxy. We are descendants of the Enlightenment, and we have been infused with this teaching. The bottom line is this. We elevate the mind and reason as authority. Why? And why did it go on back then? Part of their goal was to get out from under the superstition of religion. And the authority of the church. And then also recognize back then, there was a fight to get out under the, the aristocrats of the day. The system in France at the time was set up where if you own land, you're, you'd pass that land down to your kids. But there was a whole caste system of people underneath that if you grew up poor, you were going to be poor. You had no opportunity to move out of poverty or to have land over ownership. Matter of fact, in the Declaration of Independence, the, the whole idea of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that is connected deeply to the idea of land ownership. If you study that a little farther, owning land gave happiness. And it fit the system, understand. Now, some names, if you're a French philosopher, I don't know if you've heard this name, Voltaire. Very important figure from France. And in, in, he, he, he was a major player at the time. But think of these names, Benjamin Franklin. Thomas Jefferson, they were hardcore students of the Enlightenment. And they spent actually a lot of time in France. Remember, France was the great ally. France hated Britain, so they were on our side. But the Enlightenment brought to the society, uh, there's a phrase, the natural law of inherent freedom and self-determination. And America's roots are steeped in this and deeply ingrained in our culture. Self-determination is the right of the highest degree. It's a virtue. So the Enlightenment thinking, it was a focus then because of that really on three things, and I'll put them on the screen. It's the idea of the self is so important. The idea of individualism, that right to be free from anybody, and the idea of total freedom for the self, meaning self-determination. I can do what I want. No one can tell me. Now, are, are these inherently evil? The answer is no. But there's limits. Now, you won't hear this in a history class. That's a liberal teacher. The limits are the authority and the sovereignty of God. A trumpet. See, the Enlightenment created values in such a way that we breathe them every day. And it creates a tension. Our rights and God's authority. And there's a clash, there's anxiety over, we feel a dissonance with it. 
And when God has the, the right and the highest authority, what oozes out of our mouths this time is this. It's not fair. That's not just. That's not right. What do you mean God trumps our rights? That's not fair. See, all of that was rooted during the Enlightenment, and it is deeply ingrained in the American spirit. I don't know if you realize this, the Enlightenment kind of bumped its way through different times and eras, and I grew up in a time period that was embracing the idea of individualism, self-determination. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and some of you grew up there as well. And you understand, it launched the glory days of being a nonconformist. It was hip to be nonconforming, to come out from under authority. Hippies, Woodstock, protests about the Vietnam War against authorities. There was a song written back then called John Lennon's Imagine. Some of you know it. Imagine what if there's no religion? What if there's no government? There's no hell. There's no heaven. There's nothing but just peace. And the assumption was if you can get rid of all authority structures, then you'll have peace. See, it was a time when you could actually achieve glory by rebelling against authority. And these historical moments recognize one thing. It didn't, there was other parts to it, but there, it actually came from an even more significant time period. See, the Enlightenment wasn't the first time this took place. It actually started much earlier. See, the idea that we have our rights, that the self needs to be glorified, that God isn't fair, it began in the Garden of Eden. If you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 3. I'll put it on the screen. Because the issue of the lens of authorities go, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Look at Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You notice what he did. He creates doubt about God's words. Are they true? Did he really say it? Now God, who, well, who had the authority there to say, don't eat from that tree? God claimed it. See, God said it. And Satan is going, did he really? Let me give you a reminder. An application number one. It is part of Satan's plan to entice people to turn from God's authority. Doubt the scriptures. God isn't concerned with your life. See, Satan wants nothing more than young people to believe there's no such thing as an absolute truth from God. See, Satan wants truth to be situational. Right or wrong, it depends. It depends on the situation. And that's where we're at today. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Do we catch that? 
Let me keep going in the passage. Look at verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Let me give you a reminder, number two. Satan wants us to believe that there are no consequences for coming out from under the authority of God. See, if you claim to know Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, you might want to just write down Hebrews chapter 12. I'm not going to go there. But it it tells us that we have a heavenly father, a good father who actually disciplines us. He's willing to discipline us. Why? Because he loves us. But it shows the authority structure again that God is, is still good in that love. He still is bringing his authority. But even here in the text, you, you understand what he's telling, the warning given here. You eat the fruit, you die. There were consequences. See, if, if we think that we can thumb our noses at God, we are walking on thin ice. Let me go. Keep going farther. Look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You get to decide. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for the food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now here's the reminder number three. Satan's great lure was inviting us through Adam and Eve, okay, inviting us toward independence and to come out from under the authority of God. Uh, There's a word that I've tried to instill in our vocabulary around here for a long time to understand the depth of sin. See, the Garden of Eden set the pathway for something to go on that claims the right to decide What is good and what's bad? And the word here for your notes, it's that word autonomy. Autonomy basically means this. You take independence and you get the right to rule. And you combine them together and that's the sum is autonomy. I have the right to decide my own destiny. Self-determination, isn't it? I have the right to determine even, you know what, if I choose to live or die, I I should be able to kill myself, so therefore I get to determine the length of my life. Think about this one, the abortion industry. The words pro-choice. The right to choose of what happens to my body. The right to determine what goes on in my womb. Folks, it's self-determination to the, to the limit. And my response, because we're under the authority of God, first, it isn't your body. Ultimately, it's God's. He has authority even over our body. The people do not want to hear that. That God has an absolute authority over a baby in a womb. 
He has authority over the number of hairs on my head. I don't necessarily like it. I wish I had hair. But let me add one more reminder. Because I've met many people over the years. Even within churches, there is a sense of pride about being independent. Number four, we have made independence a virtue. And recognize this, it's what actually drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. We take pride in our independence. And folks, that is unbiblical. In our independence, it's easy to get stuck with what I think, what I decide what's fair. See, independence means there's a sense of entitlement that I don't have to fill in the blank. I don't have to obey the rules of God. You know, I don't have to respect my boss because, you know, he's just not a very respectable man or woman. I don't have to show respect to mom and dad because everybody else does it. I don't have, they don't treat me right, therefore I get the right to decide. Do you feel the independence that's oozing from that? I don't have, I claim the right to decide, but we love our independence. Uh, Let me try to wrap this up in this. I need to give you a picture, a a bigger picture of two bookends. Chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis, think about it this way. 1 and 2 are fully under the authority and the reign of God. Chapter 1, creation, under the authority of God. Chapter 2, when Adam and Eve were created, It's not good to be alone, that relational need, but recognize as they were walking in the garden before sin came into the world, they were fully under the authority of God. Fully. And it was good. It was good. Before sin, they were underneath it. Was God stifling them? The answer is absolutely not. They were submitting to it, and it tasted really good for them. Let me give you the key point here, really the summary of today. Living under and accepting this this idea of the authority of God actually gives us freedom and real life. Submission to God's authority, submission to the word of God is actually freeing. But people believe the opposite. Structures limit us. Structures is not love. See, chapter 2 again, Adam and Eve living under the authority of God. It was not harsh. It wasn't like God was up there judging them, steering their lives every which way to make life difficult. Not at all. It was complete freedom and it was good. And chapter 3 comes along. And Adam and Eve claimed their independence, claimed autonomy. And the result of that was bondage, slavery as they declared their independence. And people, in claiming independence, what they don't know is they're actually embracing bondage. But, 
there's good news as well. Because in the story, as, as you see the whole, whole creation and all of the earth and people just collapse, everybody does what's right in their own eyes, God was still at work. And, and he chooses to create another bookend. And, and let me show you that from Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. When he appeared in human form, he is Jesus. He humbled himself, and look at this, in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, of God the Father. See, here's the reality of the other bookend. You have Genesis 1 and 2, but the other end of it is there was a time that will be coming that the scriptures talk about where those that have bent their knees to Jesus living on this earth now, as they get to eternity, there's no harshness. Actually, what it is, it will be complete freedom to live in relationship with the Father and the Son. As we think that living under authority is bad, but understand this, one day we will come back under authority and we are going to be the bride of Christ and he's going to invite us into the Father's relationship with the Father's. And will it be hard? You go, no, no it will actually be delightful. Delightful. But understand this, for those that have never bent their knees on this earth, the bookend for them, the end of the story for them, is that they will be forced to bow their knee before the God who has all authority. And the challenge for them, as they valued independence in this world, one day they will be forced and they will be forced forever to be bowed before the creator, but will there be joy? No. Hardship, misery. Why? Because they're going to look back and go, I never bowed my, bowed my knee before Christ. Do you see the other bookend? But in between, God is working. He's getting us to a new place. And yet, as followers of Christ, he tells us to come under our relationship with authority is to ultimately come under the umbrella of God's structures. I want to invite the elders to come on up. Because understand this, even with this table, the communion table, it reminds us that, listen, that the Son came under the authority of the Father and was willing to go to the cross. It wasn't independence. It was actually dependence on his Father. He didn't want to, but he demonstrated it for us. Guys, would you want to hand out the bread? And he says this, I'm going to take the weight of, of your independence, your autonomy. I'm going to take it on myself and I'm going to set you free. That one day when creation moves toward eternity, we get to be with him. We get to have incredible joy. 
And yet we're going to be fully under the rule, the authority, and the reign of God. But that's freedom. I'd ask you just to hold the elements and uh, just wait. We'll take that together. If you know Christ, we'd encourage you to participate with us in communion. Let's celebrate and remember what Jesus did for us.